0: city where thankfully con ed does not power our grid by some type of dubstep power columns it's matt and brett love comics this is matt
1: and this is brett you're also forgetting uh tubes of electric eels
0: to oh right right tubes well i was that, would believe that that is somewhere in the city
1: yeah was that movie positing that that new york city's power grid is run by electric eels I
0: just realized. Oh, man, that's a really great question. Is that what they were trying to tell us? I hope so. I Actually, I would be really excited if we found out that there was just, like, a series of eels that kept this city alive. Also, that would be really sad, I guess, unless the eels were, like, okay with projecting that much electricity. I don't know. I guess it would depend on the circumstances under which they were kept. Yeah. No, No animal cruelty. Yeah. Like, is this, is this like, uh, is this like an area where they have enough space to move around? Are they all over each other? Uh, so what's the deal here? What are they kept? And
1: the movie, in the, in Amazing Spider-Man 2, not the most humane of conditions.
0: Okay. Well, if it's like that, then we're going to have to talk. Yeah. But if uh, they have like a big open space, you know, as long as, I just don't want a Blackfish incident.
1: Oh, God, no. Yeah. Um, yeah, we haven't, we haven't received any, I don't think we've received any backlash. From our amazing Spider-Man 2 review, uh, I don't,
0: I don't think so either. Unfortunately, taking a look at the numbers too, it looks like it uh, had a really great first weekend and then thwap. Aww. Um,
1: I still don't. I still feel bad when things fail. Like watching Andrew Garfield host SNL, I was just like, oh, <laughs> I feel so sad because. I don't know, because I'd seen the movie and was underwhelmed by it, and I like him as a human being, and, and as Peter Parker, so it was just like, yeah, yeah. oh, kind of sad. Yeah. And the, the and Rotten Tomatoes score, like, dropped like a rock after um the opening, because it was at, like, 70-something yeah. before it opened, and then it went down to, like, 56. Ooh. I don't oh, that's know.
0: That's I don't know. Almost there. Almost there.
1: Yeah, if you just edit out all that bad guy stuff. Yeah. Keep all the uh, Peter and Gwen stuff. Anyway.
0: Anyhow, (laughs) we are hanging out here over Skype today. And our our book pick today is a little bit different. We decided to go uh, a new route. We're going to be taking a look at three new number ones out of the Marvel now. I guess they're calling it all, all new, new Marvel now. All new Marvel now. And there's no 2.0 or wave two, right? Mm-mm.
1: All okay. new Marvel now. Which I guess is kind of. I don't know. I guess it's like a nice tip of the hat to all new X Men. Okay. Was that the break? I mean, was that the breakout book of the first Marvel now launch? I mean, I I I, I think maybe.
0: I would. I would say so. It was the Strangers concept that was best executed. Yeah. And uh, the, no, wait. No, Hawkeye wasn't part of the launch. No, Hawkeye,
1: Hawkeye was. Wasn't. Hawkeye and Captain Marvel both debuted a couple months before. Yeah. All new Marvel now. I just. I think. I just. I think. It, I, I. In my opinion, it's a nice tip of the hat. Like all new Marvel now, and then we're getting all these all new books, like all new X Factor, and isn't all new? Is it all new Ghost Rider as well? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, th- I think that's a nice tip of the hat, and also kind yeah. of kind of winking, kind of knowing.
0: Which I oh, think yeah. is, is nice because technically, all new X Men is not really new because it's all characters that yeah. existed before.
1: <laughs> and I think they finally worked in a titular line in like issue twenty four or something, like really far into the run. We oh, finally it. worked in a titular line. so. But yeah, we're doing three uh, number one issues, because there's been a ton of them in the past couple months. Um, narrowing it down to three was kind of hard, but we did.
0: Yeah, that's true. We, we went back and forth on which three we were going to do, but we finally landed on... Uh, today we're going to be reviewing, uh, very fresh off the press, Cyclops number one by Greg Rucka and Russell Dodderman.
1: Yeah, uh, and then also She-Hulk number one, by Charles Soule and Javier Pulido.
0: Yep. And rounding it out, we're going to be discussing Magneto Number One by Mr. Cullen Bunn and Gabriel Hernandez Walta. Uh,
1: yeah, who is an amazing artist that everyone should know.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's uh, let's let's tackle them in the order in which they were released.
1: Uh, which I think would be She-Hulk first, right? Yeah. Yeah. She just released uh, its fourth issue.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that just came out this past week and so far overall the series itself has been really, really fun. I like this new status quo. Uh I mean Charles Soul obviously knows this subject matter. And by subject matter I mean you know, being a green superhero.
1: Yeah, yeah, because that's what he is. If you ever see him at a convention.
0: Yeah. That's what He's he is. He's seven feet tall.
1: <laughs> uh yeah he is a he is a lawyer that actually shifted from working at a big firm to doing his own private practice in Brooklyn, yes, which is still his day
0: job yeah, and this is it's very much you know what happens to Jennifer in this first issue um she has it she basically has it all she's working at a huge firm in Manhattan and doing great for herself when yeah. she gets called in for her job for her, basically, her review, and the partners tell her that they thought that she would be a great addition to the firm because she would bring in some of her friends as clients.
1: Yeah. Or they say, um, you know, where's Tony Stark? Where's Danny Rand? You work closely with the Fantastic Four, read Richards Files patents on a daily basis. Why do we not have that work? I love when comic book writers just take those, I don't know, realistic spins on things.
0: Yeah, it's a. It, and to be fair, that's a very honest uh, question. You know, um, I mean, it's kind of gross that they would hire someone thinking like, "Oh, we're just in it for your friends." But you know, when you are friends with multimillionaires who actively have uh, legal, like legal work going on all the time, and they're not coming to you, uh, that's... yeah.
1: And I think like. Um... It's also so interesting seeing, like, superheroes going up for job evaluations. Yeah. Because <laughs> you don't ever see that. Uh, and I like that Charles still actually makes a point to point out that, like, she has Jen retort with, which isn't even mentioning that I am a fantastic attorney and you are lucky to have me. Yeah. And then I like that she then says, like, I'm not going to uh, make you guys more money because I happen to know a bunch of superheroes. Those relationships are sacred to me. Yeah. It's, it's like uh I don't know I can see a lot of people reading this and thinking you know what I've been in job interviews or job evaluations where the exact same thing has happened to me and I've stood up for myself the same way <laughs> like that, yeah. that Jen Walters in this, in this meeting is being I don't know like a, like a superhero that we can relate to every time we've yeah. had to like stand up for ourselves in front of our bosses
0: oh lord yeah which is oof the worst. Yeah. It's a it's a really fun book, and I love the... You know, we get this sort of old-school one-page recap of who she is to open the book. Yeah. Uh, it's just a collage of various events that happens while she's She-Hulk. You know, so trashing, uh, uh Trashing the Wrecking Crew, drinking with Thor and... Uh, Tony Stark. Well, that must be an old photo. Yeah, <laughs> uh, getting zapped, getting zapped by a random laser. Yeah, and uh, ripping apart some machinery. I can't quite tell who that guy is supposed to be. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just a generic design. And then helping a kid. Because yeah. who doesn't want to help a kid? A kid who has a She Hulk. She Hulk
1: doll. I think Marvel released. I mean, this is the first page of the issue, so Marvel released it as like a preview page months before the issue came out. And I saw this, and I was like, oh, well, this book's going to be amazing because that's everything you want from a She Hulk. Like, you yeah. want. You want her to be a partier, you want her to be a superhero, but you also want to make sure that it includes the heroic, aspirational side of being a superhero, especially for little girls. That's why I yeah. love that's why I love this character so much. Ugh. What is yeah. your what's your what's your shulky history? What's your
0: Well you know I wasn't I was aware of the John Byrne run. On the oh, yeah. character back in the back in the '80s and the early '90s, but it wasn't anything I was ever really interested, in. I was too busy uh, looking at all bad superheroes. So, <laughs> well,
1: you were also uh, maybe you were mad at the fact that Shield threatened to rip up your copies of X Men.
0: Yeah, completely unacceptable. <laughs> on that cover, uh, I don't know who you are or where you came from, Green Lady, but do not put your fingers <laughs> on my extinction agendas. <laughs> um, I uh, it, yeah, so. My first real spin with the character in her solo book was Dan Slott's run uh, several years ago, which I really enjoyed. I yeah. thought it was fun. I thought it was funny. I thought it was a clever spin on the character. I loved one of my favorite standalone stories is the issue where um, where she represents Peter Parker. Yeah, or, I'm sorry, not Peter Parker, but Spider-Man. Spider-Man. <laughs> Um, and it's, it, it, it's funny, it's funny, it's a solid story, and, uh, one, Juan Bobbio? Yeah, Juan
1: Bobbio was the, um, him and Paul Pelletier yeah. did a lot of that first volume, and then, um, oh, geez, who did the second volume was Rick Burchett, and Juan Bobbio did a lot of the second volume.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I loved, uh, the... I love the cartoony style that Juan had on that book, and this sort of, this sort of style that, uh, that we get here from Polito is, is very similar. Well, not similar, but it has that sort of same spirit, that sort of cartoony European spirit to it yeah. that, I, that I like
1: it's the va it's it's almost like a statement of intent in a way because um with a character like She Hulk she is kind of she's fascinating because of her dichotomy is that uh-huh. the, is that a word um yeah. because she is both a hulk like she so you could really go with that you know Mark Silvestri michael diodato like you could go for that aggressive brawny take, but she's also a lawyer and she's also a fun loving character so you can so the other choice is going with this, with the Javier Polito Juan Bobillo style. Yeah. It's almost like brain or brawn. Because I think um, when Peter David took over from Dan Slott, I know all the covers became Mike Diodato covers. Yes. So, which, in my head, was like, oh, that's a tonal that's a tonal shift.
0: Like a very, very big shift. Yeah. Like, uh, Mike Diodato was not going to jump on a book that is just I feel like he would be a bad fit for the type of stories that Charles Soule is telling.
1: Yeah. So Javier Plito works and works uh, magnificently in this. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Book, it's a book that you have to buy in print. Like, I. I. I'm always trying to figure out which, what I'm going to buy, which series, like how, uh, and then I don't know. Like I, I think I flipped through a copy of shield number one the week before it came out. Um, and I was like, Oh, I have to buy this book physically because it's just so gorgeous.
0: Yeah. I, I gotta be honest. That's a situation where I really wish that Marvel's production standards were higher like, at an image level. Yeah. Because
1: oh, it the be sort s- of so rice nice.
0: paper that they're printing on right now is, is... I get it from, like, a cost standpoint, but...
1: Yeah, that's the thing that... I, that's <laughs> the thing that annoys me, because there was one... Uh, recently, I was at Midtown Comics waiting for my boyfriend to get done with work, so I was, like, holding my comics in my hand for, like, an hour, like, reading them or just, like, walking around browsing, and I noticed, like, they were starting to melt in my hand. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, it actually melting now. Yeah, like, now.
1: The, the ink was coming off in my hands, and I was like... So now when I... I don't know, in, in another way, like, I've always handled my comics delicately. So this really makes me, like, treat them even more precious.
0: <laughs> True. True. Yeah, I, it's, uh, it's really great art. This is, this is honestly, like, the type of stuff, and not just the art itself, but the panel design and the layouts... Yeah, are really fun. He he draws he draws large panels, but they don't feel like they're swallowing space or no, yeah, you know, padding the book. Um, and like this is the type of stuff like I would love to own an original piece. Oh, yeah, from this book, right?
1: Yeah, the um the page. Uh, oh, geez, where is it when? The page of Jin after she confronts Stark and is walking away from him, holding the cassette tape with her clothes all ripped, and she's smiling because she knows that she just outsmarted him.
0: Yeah. Great page. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, so the actual case that she winds up taking, I mean, it's not an actual case, per se. She goes drinking after she gets fired, um, after she taps... The boardroom table at uh, at a previous firm, and it cracks in half. Yeah, uh, which winds up having repercussions uh, later in the book. Uh, she goes to her favorite watering hole, which is the place where all the uh, it's the lawyer bar. Yeah, everyone Warrior. has like that bar, right? There's yeah. the lawyer bar. There's the comedy bar. There's the journalist bar, and she's hanging out and. Uh, and she winds up taking a case from a woman whose husband used to be a supervillain.
1: That page, I is so subtle and amazing of just it's like a medium shot where you just see She-Hulk's bust um and in the background you see uh, a, a, a a normally non a normally dressed nondescript woman going around to each lawyer asking them for help and they're just laughing at her. <laughs> Yeah, uh, And in the foreground, you see uh, Jen, like, with a shot glass, getting a shot, getting another shot, and then finally like, reaching over the bar and just getting it herself. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's such great storytelling, and it's such great, like, soul relying on trusting in Polito to just like, yeah, do this. Like, I trust your instincts. I don't need to write any words. I don't need to spell anything out with
0: captions. It's great. Yeah, it, it's... It's a really great piece of clear character development. Like you get, it, this, is, this is four silent panels and then a fifth panel with a single word balloon. And it tells you a lot about, it tells you everything you need to know about the environment, yeah. the situation, She-Hulk's mental state, and this woman's own mental state. You know, and I feel like if this were a page in the early 90s or something, there'd we be, would be covered in captions. There'd
1: be so much internal dialogue. Like, it'd be yes. thought balloons from She Hulk about, like, you know, where she, what's she gonna do, what's her, you know, etc. Et
0: yeah. It's great. And this is just, this is confident storytelling, is what this is to me.
1: So uh, the, the wife, her husband, is dead, and she is trying to get basically money or compensation because Stark, Stark. Repulsor Tech is based, like, the those model of Stark Repulsor Tech they're using now is based on basically her dead husband's, her late husband's uh, inventions. Yes. And so Jen's like, well, I don't, you know, you know I'm not going to take your case because 90% of lawyering is just conversations. I know no Tony. I'm just going to go talk to him.
0: Yeah. And, of course, uh, she gets the runaround because Tony is in corporate mode. Uh, The building takes her to the legal department, which is an amazing, um, the longest hallway ever in existence. On the 180th floor, or is that that 180 or just an 18 with a button beside it? It No, it's 18th. 18th floor, yeah. Oh, they say that. They say that in the previous page. Right. But
1: it's it's amazing that the that double page spread has such a sense of like vertigo and off balance. Yeah, to it, which is totally uh, fit, fitting with meeting with legal for the first time.
0: Right, and what's great about it too is like it's not just the like it's an innovative layout that Polita has here. But you, as you actually your eye follows across it, and you. Kind of create this collapsing arc down into the actual interaction between the two of them. Yeah. Um, You know, you start in the upper left of one page, and then it just, we just sort of arc across the two pages and then land flat. And then we launch into this amazing lawyer speak. I just, I love this. And I love the way that they handle it with the lettering, too. Uh, Clayton Cowles does a, a really great job of showing you. Again, this is uh, this is like using the whole hog. You know, like you have a letter, use the letter as well to help tell the story, and that's and that's what we're doing here. As the there's so much dialogue that it just starts shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and getting smaller and smaller in the yeah. word balloons.
1: It almost feels like that is like either symbolic of of like Jen's own spacing out, maybe. Yeah. So I think when, when T V shows want to get across, you know, complex lawyer Ease, they'll start into like a micro machines guy style, like fast talk, and then they'll like usually switch to like a POV shot with like bl- and it's blurry and there's like muffled sound uh-huh. as the lawyer keeps talking and then there's something that snaps them back too. Yes. And when I read this, when I see that text is getting, like, smaller and smaller and smaller, and it just keeps going and going and going, that gave me that same effect. That same, like, oh, disoriented, kind of muffled and, like, what the hell.
0: Yeah. It's great. Yeah, I love, uh, you know, this is very much, this is very much like corporate lawyering, too. This is where Charles Soul's experience... Really comes in here. Dan Slott had some really fun, great, like, legal tales in yeah, his previous volume of the book.
1: Yeah, and he he did a really fun thing of making, of, like, playing with continuity. Especially, yes. like, how Marvel Comics were all legal documents because they were, you know, based on actual fact and stuff. Yeah. And so Dan Slott would cite actual Marvel comic issues in courtroom cases because... Jin herself was citing them. (laughs) That's pretty great. Uh, And and Soul doesn't do that. Like Soul, this is a little. This is more realistic than that, but somehow still is fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. i It's interesting because, again, as a person who's not a lawyer, I have no one in my family that's a lawyer. I don't. uh, My my friend's dad is a lawyer. But it's all sort of old estate cases. Nothing yeah, yeah. like this. Uh, I really—it's—it's it's an interesting look into it, especially from the reflection of being in a superhero universe. Yeah. Uh, I love—I love that they're just—they get like three lines into the actual case, and Jen is immediately inundated with uh, minutiae of law and insane amounts of paperwork. Yeah. That ends with. <laughs> The woman turning to her, and Jen, who is obscured by stacks of books, is being asked, is this bad? And she replies, that ain't good. (laughs) But it's,
1: yeah, I just, I love, I don't know, I just, I love this character so much. I love that there still is some really fun action stuff in it, too. Um, yeah. Like when she goes back to Stark Tower the second time and all these giant Stark robots come at her and yep. She-Hulk says like, oh well I'm not here in my legal capacity right now it's She-Hulk all the way and she's like zipped up her vest and like is cracking her knuckles and then you see her yep. on the next page and <laughs> she goes up to Stark's office and the elevator opens up and she's just like growling you set your robots on me Yeah. and she's all hulked out and it's great I guess I love
0: yeah, and I love Stark's reaction, too. He has no idea any of this happened.
1: Yeah. It's it's kind of interesting because you have to... Tony Stark is maybe Marvel's flagship character right now, so you can't make him complicit in screwing over a dead guy. True. <laughs> like, you have to... And that's that's what she says. Um, you know, Jen says your average CEO billionaire would just let the lawyers handle it and never think about Miss Harrow. Or two young kids again, but you are not an average billionaire CEO. You are Tony Stark. Yeah, which I think like still gives him an opportunity to be a hero, even though he was previously ignorant of what his company was doing.
0: Oh, totally, and it's not. There never seems to be anything malicious yeah. in what happened here. It's more of a misunderstanding and and not knowing the whole situation.
1: They pen they pen the entire uh, thing on a former Stark employee who Stark himself like was like, yeah, we had to let him go because he was embezzling. He made this decision. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and Stark fixes it and gives and uh, awards the widow a, a lot of money, of which she gives Jen a cut, even though Jen didn't ask for it.
0: Yeah, which Jen winds up using to create her own practice. Yeah. Um, In Dumbo.
1: Yeah, is that, uh, is that near you?
0: No, Dumbo is uh, Dumbo stands for Down Under Manhattan Bridge Overpass. So that's it's where all the trolls a, live. Yeah, yeah, that's where Ulik hangs out. Yeah. Ulik the troll. It's right underneath, and Brooklyn Bridge Park is right down there. It's really gorgeous. There's a there's a clock tower in that area, and in the clock tower, uh, folks, if you look this up, you can see it. Um, There's an apartment in a clock tower down there that is apparently, it has the greatest view of any apartment in any of the five boroughs, and it's like 20, it's like a, uh, oh god, it's the amount of money that the apartment is is absolutely insane, Uh, but it's gorgeous, it's rumored that Jim Carrey and Anne Hathaway were like the last two people that have rented it. Of course. Yeah, uh, you can actually see out the Batman giant Hulk. clock from the inside. Oh wow! Yeah,
1: that that that's appropriate for a Batman villain,
0: I would say. Yeah, it, yeah, um, <laughs> they're both Batman villains. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: I will say lastly about She-Hulk. Um, this book. Uh, I mean, I guess I can reveal this that this book uh, has a Matt and Brett Love comics uh, f- touch on it. This is a. Um this book would be different if her podcast didn't exist. And that is an interesting thing to note. Wait, what? Yeah. Uh Kevin Wada is the cover artist for this book. And yeah. uh Kevin Wada is an amazing artist who Oh yeah. Was that 2, two years ago? 2 years ago this summer, uh, my boyfriend commissioned him to do a birthday present for me of mid-century uh, designed ex-ladies mashed up with my boyfriend's favorite opera uh, characters. Um, it's an
0: amazing piece. And it
1: is gorgeous. And when we had Marvel editor Jordan White on our show, he saw that piece, and we like told him, like, I was like, yeah, you know, this Kevin Wada, this sent him links to his work. And then I was at New York Comic Con this past October and I ran into Janine Schaefer, who is the editor on She-Hulk. Yeah. And she said that. They're, uh, both her and Jordan were in the X-Office at the time, so I, I assume they sit in proximity to each other, I don't know. Uh, yeah. But she was racking her, her brain trying to uh, find someone to do this X-Men number one variant for Hastings. Uh-huh. Where Hastings specifically requ- like they requested a Downton Abbey-themed... <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Downton Abbey themed cover, which Janine was like, I don't know how I can make this happen. <laughs> what does this mean? Such a specific, weird request. And <laughs> Jordan said, Do you know Kevin Wada? Did you seen Brett White's piece? And she was like, Oh, yes. She hadn't seen my piece, but she was familiar with Kevin Wada's work. Love so it. So having Jordan at our apartment to record our show put Kevin Wada on his mind, and he then suggested it to Janine, who now has him doing She-Hulk covers. So I don't know, that's a, that's a couple of steps.
0: I love it. It's a couple Kevin Bacons. I like yeah. it.
1: But still, it's like, I don't know, I'm, I, Kevin Wada is such a great person, he's a great artist. Every cover he's done of these has been amazing, and every new one I'm so excited for him.
0: Yeah, so. the, the cover to this first issue is Iconic. really great. It's, yeah.
1: there's, a post, there's a 24 by 36 poster of it at Midtown, and I
0: want it. Oh, already? That's awesome.
1: Yeah, I think that Marvel actually releases posters of covers the week they come out, because there's already one of Captain Marvel number one, the David Lopez version. Oh. It's just we never, like, s- troll through previews for posters. That's true. Or go to Midtown to look at their poster selection, but they got a lot of uh, good posters there. There's probably one of Amazing Spider-Man number one. Um, yeah, so what's, uh, next up would be Magneto, or is the next number one?
0: Yeah, Magneto. Now you Um, and talking about tone of book, if there could not be a more du- uh, extreme tonal <laughs> shift from one book to another, it's it's these two back to back.
1: And what was your, I feel like Magneto is the Dark Horse pick that I now personally am trying to tell people to read and champion, um... So that just like I was not going to read this book, I assume. What yeah. was your just based on creative team and character? What was your preconception?
0: You know, I just I wasn't interested. I know that we we had run down the list of oh yeah all new Marvel now announcements in an older episode, and I think this is one that we mentioned. And I wasn't really interested. Um, Magneto as a character is. When I started reading the X books, it was during Claremont's run, and it was at the end when he had begun to... Basically, Magneto was just an older gentleman with opinions. He just wanted everyone off his lawn. (laughs) You know, he wasn't a supervillain. He wasn't really a superhero. He helped whoever was closest to him in, like, physical proximity and would just try to do the right thing. He just seemed like a man who was approaching the end of his life and was reconsidering everything that he thought yeah that yeah, the is right and from there they have they had turned him back into a villain and he was he was a villain for a long time and then he was good again and then he wasn't and then during Matt fraction's run came and literally bowed to Cyclops, yeah and you know uh gave him his. Uh, you know, it was like, I give you my axe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and now I'm a few months behind. I'm okay if you spoil it for me, but I'm reading Uncanny on the Marvel Unlimited app. So I am yeah. a few months behind current continuity. I don't, I don't quite understand what happened to cause him to leave that group. Uh, is this sort of a Wolverine situation no, he, where, like, th- this is what happens when he's on his own?
1: No, he left. He, uh, and <laughs> he didn't tell anyone either. It's very, that's the thing that I liked about <clears throat> even Bendis' more recent take on Magneto and his relationship with Cyclops' revolution is, like, Bendis never wrote Magneto as if... He he basically wrote Magneto as if Magneto was... It was Magneto's choice to be there. And Magneto yeah. was not going to do anything that Cyclops wanted him to do that Magneto also didn't want to do. Like, I liked that. And so, that's why Magneto did his, like, triple agent thing with a shield. Yeah. Without even telling Cyclops, just because, like, I know this is what needs to be done. So I did this, and I'm telling you about it now. I've already done it, you can't stop it. <laughs> I know better. Yeah. Um, basically he just disappeared. There's an issue of him that Bendis wrote where he goes to Madripoor The that um Mystique has bought with her mound of cash off yeah. of I do believe it was I think was Hydra. She bought it from Hydra, I think. Hydra
0: and yeah, A. Yeah, she bought it she bought it from Madam Did the deal actually go down because Yeah. The X Men jumped that scene and I thought most of the money got burned.
1: Uh the deal went down because she now owns it. Okay. I No, I can't remember the specifics because my memory gets shoddy with new things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and he, so he goes there, and Mystique is basically like, "Look how awesome this is! Like, we have all these mutants." But then he's looking around, and it's like, "Yeah, you have all these mutants, but they're all like gambling or prostituting themselves or strung out on drugs because this is like some sort of crazy. It's Madripoor, so it's not like it has the best reputation to begin with." Right. Um. And so he basically says, gives all of them the middle finger. And that's where the... I'm pretty sure that's where the issue leaves. Is like, he's uh-huh. gone. He's done with it. And then this series picks up, and now he is starting his one-man crusade to basically uh, kill all the people that are uh, persecuting mutants.
0: Yeah. And it's a, it's a very... The tone and the, his state of mind is so... Dark it's yeah it's, it's so so dark
1: it feels very much uh it feels very very much like Walter White at his darkest absolutely because it feels like Magneto doesn't have anything to live for, like all he has to live for is his revenge, basically, which is yeah. very much a place that I'm pretty like breaking bad went to that well, <laughs> um and reading this it does feel like I keep saying like if you were on that, if you were totally digging that anti hero kick. That a lot of uh, comics are on, then you should get on this.
0: Yeah, that a lot of TV shows are on. It's interesting because you go back and you look at comics in the '90s, and a lot of a lot of the buzzword was antihero, right? Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, but it was it was nuts. Like the the stories weren't great. It was more just like anti-hero for K E W L cool yeah, sake. Yeah, <laughs> and this but n- yeah with with television sort of gravitating that way it's like people have rethought how to do that and are and are just doing it better
1: i also i love um cullen bunn um i still have not read sixth gun and we need to do an episode on it i know uh, yeah i love fearless defenders which i i'm trying to think i think that's the only work of his i've read i love fearless defenders this is so different from that book this oh, is yeah. not what I. Because I haven't read Six Guns, so I wasn't really sure what to, I was to expect from this. And it is so um, dark and uh, methodical and compelling and also gory. The second page of this book is a guy kneeled in the street with a whole bunch of street signs rammed through his mouth coming off the back of his head.
0: I <laughs> did not expect that. At
1: all. And I will say, we're on issue three now. He does stuff in each issue that is worse than that. Yeah. In the newest issue, um, he cuts he cuts someone's forearm. He says, like, I'm going to make you do this with just a paperclip," And he then shoves the paperclip into the cut in their forearm. And then pushes it up through their skin. Oh. <laughs> as, like a, as like a torture device. And... It's things like, I've been reading Magneto comics for 20 years, and Bunn is coming up with all these more disturbing ways of using his powers than I've seen before.
0: <laughs> yeah, incredibly uncomfortable. Like the the nails? Yeah, the nails in the second issue.
1: Yeah. Where he uh. rams nails into someone's hand and then makes them stab themselves in the eye, and then the next panel you see all the nails have been pushed clear through his hand into the person's head. It's it's, it's Goyer than I thought a Marvel book could be, even one that is, I assume, like, rated teen plus. Yeah. But also not exploitative. Like, it all fits with the tone, it doesn't feel... I don't know. I... Okay, I want to know what you think about this. I'm reading this, and I'm, I am get a No Country for All Men vibe. Like, I I get a Dark Coen Brothers vibe from this book.
0: Very much. Especially, That's actually incredibly accurate. Yeah.
1: Especially the coloring, Jordy Beller's coloring. I was like, this looks like the cinematography of a dark Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. That's what I thought.
0: Yeah, it's very no country for old men. That's really accurate. Um, There. It's. it, It definitely feels like the story of a man who. And this makes sense for Magneto, too. You were saying earlier, you know, he was on the uncanny X-Men team. He's never been a team player. No. He, he was in the Hellfire Club, not really. Oh, no. He, he is someone who, he's not as arrogant as Doom. No, no, no. Right? But he has that soor- same sort of thought process that he should be the person in charge.
1: It's because Doom, Doom is self-serving, whereas Magneto is almost that, he's that exact same level of gravitas and confidence and extremeness, but he does it for others. Yeah. He's all, he's all about everyone else and not about himself. Like,
0: actually. Ma- Magnemonious? Yeah. Is that, is
1: that that word? <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, Magneto doesn't care about himself, I think. Yep. No. He only cares about furthering the survival of mutants.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. because, And because of that, he winds up... I don't think he realizes as a character, like, you don't realize that you wind up isolating yourself when in your head everything that you think you do is for a greater good.
1: Yeah. Because this issue, we find him in a hotel room... Um like hiding out from the maid. Like mm-hmm. trying to keep his secret from her, like giving her money, like just to make her forget things. Yeah. What she's seen. Or what she thinks she might have seen. Yeah. And he's in there, like, with a map of the United States with his you know, controlling his pushments magnetically, um plotting out the path of these of this mysterious organization that is basically taking humans and turning them into sentinels against their will. Yeah which is another um, interesting, cool twist that was kind of done with Operation Zero Tolerance in 97, but this is a further twist on it because it's people that aren't volunteering.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, I think that that probably would have been... I mean, I'm trying to remember Zero Tolerance, (laughs) and I, 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 I... I'm wondering if that would have like helped that crossover if they were people that were being yeah turning the Sentinels against their will instead of, hmm, I don't know. I'm thinking about a, a 16-year-old crossover right now, 17. Oh, oh man. Oh, yeah. Anyways, in this <laughs> issue, uh, the, and, and let's talk about, I mean, we've been talking about the goriness of it. The art itself is lends itself to that tone and mood
1: Hernandez Walta is a great artist, and he he was the regular artist on Marjorie Liu's uh, Astonishing X-Men. He did not do the issue that we read, and Carpena, who is now the artist on All New Ultimates. Yeah. He's, he did that issue. But Hernandez, her Gabriel Hernandez Walta did most of Marjorie Liu's run, and I fell in love with his work there, because it's this... It It's very indie. Like, it's very, uh... Non, it's it's what Marvel is doing great now. Is they're taking these artists who are not stereotypical superhero artists, and they're allowing them to use their talents in telling different types of stories. I love his art so much.
0: Yeah, that's that's what's amazing. And looking at, I mean, we'll com- I guess I'll compare the big two right now. But like you look at you look at what DC's doing, and the majority of it is very much that sort of. Comics as they have been made there's a house style and it's very brawny and You know very influenced by the 90s Yeah. Uh, everything is everything is like beefy superheroes and sexy sexy ladies mm-hmm. And then you look at what Marvel is doing and they are taking these amazing talents and creating this like rich diverse art or like like tapestry of art across their entire line. Yeah, I mean you know
1: I'm trying to like her name does Walter to me. I'm trying to figure out like I see like David Mazzakelli in here. Mm-hmm. I also in some ways see like John Cassidy like a weird middle ground between the two of them.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh it has its uh, it has that roughness but still the composure and, like, the the pacing and the shot composition yeah. of, of John Cassidy.
1: And it also seems very, um... I think, I think, like, Coen Brothers is why I keep coming back to that. Like, it feels very natural. Like, I feel like every human being in this book feels like someone you've seen before. Yeah. Like, he doesn't... He just goes for... This very understated minimalist realism, while still also feeling very textured. Oh, I need to know how to talk about art better, more good. Right?
0: <laughs> but, I, yeah, but I, just... I need to make more pretty word for
1: arts. <laughs> but I'm just thinking of like the like the housekeeper that like, he just draws like a young girl, like she has like yeah. a ponytail, some bangs, her uniform. She's not like she just looks like a person you've seen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really good, and it's only gotten better with every single issue.
0: Yeah. I'm interested to see... So this is, you know, looking a little bit ahead, the first story arc has wrapped. Uh, It it seems like this is going to be a sort of travelogue Uh, book, in a way. Like, he's going to be crossing their country. Eventually, he is going to get noticed by his former teammates. There's no way he's not.
1: Yeah, I, um, considering the bloody, bloody swath he's cutting, everywhere he goes, he keeps killing people. They're gonna notice.
0: They will. You know what's interesting to me, too, real fast, um, is that I realized we're in this place storytelling-wise with Marvel where they're doing this in individual books that aren't, like, directly accessing... Whatever major crossover there is. Yeah. It's it's a hybrid style of like the Genesis era where everything was isolated. Every single book was isolated. And the crossover happy era that was in the nineties and then was happening maybe like six years ago. Yeah. Where where, yeah, we're we're watching Magneto do all of this horrific stuff, and it's it's sort of off to the side, but it's not... Well, I guess more so in She-Hulk, like, it's not going unnoticed. We still have the other characters that exist in this universe showing up, because of course they would, because these people are friends.
1: Yeah, and I, uh, I was also going to say that this also... When I read early 90s comics and I find the, like, subscription page... Yeah, and I look through, like, the books that were, you know, they were offering for subscription in 1991, 1992, there are so many solo titles. Yeah. Like, every, it's like there are so many solo character titles, and it's like, Quasar had a series. Like, okay, come on, guys, you know? And right. I feel like that died down for much of the last decade, where only your main flagship characters had solo titles. But now Marvel, I guess, like, Hawkeye, uh... And you know Captain Marvel in her own way. Both of them really showed that fan bases of varying types and sizes and devotions and pre-existing comic knowledge will rally around these books. Yeah. Now Marvel is launching almost nothing but these solo hero books. A lot of them based around characters that have never had solo series before. That you were kind of like scratching your head, like how can they hold down a series? Um, which is my which was my reaction to Cyclops
0: right which again was a surprise that they had announced this i this was this was something i certainly did not expect and then in the wake of the trial of gene gray makes sense
1: yeah as soon Um, as they um made that press release like oh yeah it's a cyclops ongoing starring young cyclops which is a father-son road trip through space with corsair i was like oh okay yeah that's a series i want that's yeah. what I wanna read. Because Uncanny X-Men at times already feels like a Cyclops, you know, ongoing.
0: Oh yeah. <clears throat> um and, and that's and that was what was interesting to me too, is I was thinking the I was thinking the same thing basically, that like Uncanny is basically Cyclops and Friends, which I mean makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But then why do you need why do you need the second one? And here we are with young Cyclops who has uh, in the wake of Trial of Jean Gray Discovered that his father is alive, and that he's going to go spend time with his dad because hell yeah, why wouldn't you? Yeah, and they say they
1: they say it just like what he he thought his dad was dead for eight years. Is that what he says in here at some point? Yeah. 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 When I was eight years old, my brother Alex and I lost our parents in a plane crash that wasn't
0: a plane crash. Um, I love that. Yeah, and it made me realize something as I was diving into the pages of this book. There hasn't really been like there've been stories where like, you know, Scott and Scott and Chris Summers had to like interact and stuff like that, but they never really had any type of like experience like this before. Yeah. yeah. Especially and, young Cyclops. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even when they discovered who the Star Jammers were and all this stuff, Cyclops was in his 20s at that point, right?
1: Yeah, they want you Yeah, 20s. Yeah, and... Cyclops has been perpetually 35 (laughs) as far as I'm concerned.
0: (laughs) I mean, he was was an old soul even in the first issue of X-Men. But it makes so much sense. Like, yeah, you thought your dad was dead for so long. Even if you're in your 20s and he shows up again, why wouldn't you want to spend as much time as possible with him?
1: (laughs) And especially, like, You know, Corsair has been dead for eight years in our time, too. I think he died in 2006 or 2007 in Ed Brubaker's Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar Empire storyline. So, that character, when he came back in All New X-Men, I was grinning from ear to ear, freaking out, because. Yeah. It just, like, that storyline in particular just reminded me how this big amount of affection I have for Cosmic X-Men stuff. I love the Star Jammers. I love the Imperial Guard. Just getting him back, I just—it felt great.
0: Yeah, I'm very interested. Ugh, got a full of marbles right now. I'm very interested to see how they're going to explain his return, too.
1: Yeah, I bet that'll definitely come up in this series.
0: Yeah, it has to. It has to. You know. I thought you were dead for eight years. Well, I actually was dead for yeah. a while.
1: Yeah, but then also and, I'm kind of like, man, just give me give me the stories you want to tell, Greggy. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I will. Yeah. I'll write that. Uh, I'll write that story in my head. Did you know that there was a Starjammers miniseries in the mid '90s by Warren Ellis and Carlos Pacheco?
0: I didn't know that that was the talent on it. Yeah. I'm... That's insane. Yeah, I'm
1: reading mid-90s X-Men comics right now because, of course I am, and I just stumbled across that, and I was like, why have I not read this? (laughs) Yeah. I gotta track that down.
0: Speaking of... Speaking of back when everybody had their own series, um, yeah, that that was... uh, That was so long ago, and, again, if anyone's going to tell these stories, I'm okay with Greg Ruck. Even if Greg Ruck doesn't get around to it, I don't care. That guy has been writing some of my favorite comics for the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, he can do no wrong, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, right now,
0: in this book, it opens it opens on Hebzibah and Scott in space and her teaching him how to use his force blasts in a new way that I don't think he's ever used.
1: Yeah, as propulsion in
0: space. Yeah, and I was like, oh, this is so smart. Uh, yeah. Of course, like you know at first i was like oh right so this was my thought process immediately i was like this is so smart why haven't they ever done this before oh right because he's never had a space helmet that had that was in tune with the frequency of his own ruby quartz visor yeah as if as if oh yeah no one had invented that yet and then i was like wait a minute none of this is real <laughs>
1: Any past writer could have done that.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and it's a it's a really smart idea. And if they're ever in space again, I hope that someone takes advantage of that immediately.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, they're they're having this great sort of uh, dad's new girlfriend son moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and I like to I I really liked that that Rucka establishes that Scott's. State of mind isn't like, oh, who are these weird people with my dad? It's, you know what, these people are all actually really cool. My dad has like a great group of people around him. I don't know if I know how to be a good person around them.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. And it's also a good flip on the. I feel like the story we see a lot is long lost kid goes and finds dad who's a jerk and has surrounded himself with bums. Yeah. I don't know if we, I'm trying to think of other fictional stories where it's long lost kid finds dad who is awesome and is surrounded by other awesome people.
0: <laughs> yeah, if, if they are, it always turns out to be that they're secretly evil.
1: But I mean, I love, I mean, Raza, Chad. Chode.
0: chode you will never not be Chode.
1: <laughs> uh, even um, Corvus. Corvus is still there. Greg Rucka is yeah. keeping him around. Um, yep. I also like that we got some Sikorsky and Kree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like all these old Claremont characters that, you know, Star Starjammers have such an interesting cast, and it's just really nice to see all them
0: again. And it's great that they are clearly, like, we get FaceTime with all of them, and they're all very clearly welcoming of Scott. Like, they immediately take him in and care about him. Yeah. And like like Sikorsky running around and like jumping up in Scott's lap. Uh it, it just it feels it feels immediately like uh and I don't mean slapdashes in the storytelling, I mean a slapdash family. Like these people are a makeshift family.
1: Yeah. And they um they come across a what what kind of ship is it?
0: Uh it's a Badoon ship.
1: Oh yeah, the Badoon. Um and then they commandeer it capture the uh crew. Yep. And then they just then uh Corsair well Hepsiba's the one that notices it, right? And yes. like this you know, hey, this would be um seats two. This would be a good <laughs> Yeah. Good time for you maybe to go out with your kid.
0: Yeah, and it. again too, here's a she she seems to be a really great support system for uh for Chris Summers too, that she's like you just discovered that your son is alive. You need to go be with him. And then there's this amazing moment that Corsair has where, you know, earlier in the book, he's like, I don't, I'm not sure I know how to be his father. Yeah. And it's such yeah. a great, honest thing that they let this character exist in.
1: Especially the father of the 16-year-old. Because he already struggled with having a, you know, mid-20 or 30-year-old kid. Yeah. Um and their relationship has always been kind of weird. Who has the weirder relationship? Corsair and Cyclops or Cyclops and Cable? <laughs> Those three.
0: <laughs> have, oh man. The,
1: the issues, the daddy issues amongst all three of them.
0: You know, I'd have to say it's oh no. Now I'm in, like immediately going back on what I think. I mean you think about it like Cable shows up Cable shows up as an old man. Yeah. So he grew up, like, never knowing his parents, and then all of a sudden he finally gets to meet them. Um, at that point, I would say that's awkward because I feel like you'd be ang- maybe be angry that, like, you've, you've existed with that feeling all of your life. But then at the same time, that might also mean that, like, at that point, he doesn't even care.
1: Well, does Cable does ever find out that Cyclops and Jean Grey raised him as... as- Time traveling consciousness, whatever's.
0: Ooh, that's a, like the 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 adventures of Cyclops yeah. and Phoenix story. That's a really great question, and I don't know the answer to it.
1: Because then he's like, "Oh, well, I guess you did raise me."
0: Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. But like Cyclops and, and Corsair. I guess it's more Corsair's relationship with Cyclops because now he's met his kid twice.
1: <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a complicated.
0: Oh. It's it's very complicated, but Rucka, again, I'm like, I reviewed this book for CBR last week, and, and I mentioned it here, this is a book, this is a book about family that happens to take place in a superhero universe, Yeah, where this is all about the relationships between these characters, and I love to, you know, in the hands of another writer, this could be all very closed off, and... You know, these characters just quietly brooding about these feelings that they have. But Rucka is like, nope, we're going to get it out there. We're going to make them say how they feel. And then we're going to move forward from there. Because even if you say it, it doesn't change that you feel that way. Yeah. Like, it doesn't suddenly mean like, oh, okay, now that I've said it out loud, I'm comfortable with it. No, (laughs) they're still going to have to deal with this. And I got to be honest, I, I teared up a couple times in this book. Yeah um the the ending the ending made me tear up when they both get in the ship and uh cyclops says um well corsair says to cyclops have no idea how to be a dad to a 16 year old son i'm like liable to, to pooch this big time and scott says that's okay i'm pretty sure i stink at being 16 and he says, hey, Scott, tell you a secret. Everyone stinks at being 16. And, like, it's, it's such a cool father-son moment. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's it's really nice to see just good, happy comics with heart. Especially coming from Greg Rucka, who I don't, I associate him with, you know, Stumptown. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, there, like, a lot of heart, but it's also, like, pretty gritty and brutal and unrelenting in a way. Being, yeah. Oh, yeah. While still being captivating and fun, this this feels like you know Greg Rucka saying, you know what, I can, I am the best writer in 2014. I can also be the best writer of 1980. Like, <laughs> because it, it's just Greg. All of Greg Rucka's awesomeness filtered through, you know, Claremont, Cockrum, X Men. Yeah, like it has that same light tone, that brevity, that fun, space pirate swashbucklingness, but with Greg Rucka's amazing eye for interpersonal relationships and rich characterizations.
0: Yeah, and speaking of amazing eye, uh, Russell Dodderman's. Art on this book is so good.
1: He is amazing. He, uh, you know, another shout out to listener Russell Dotterman. <laughs> yeah, who has been listening to the show for a long time. Uh,
0: yeah, and, and we're not just saying this. Uh, we're not just saying this because we know he listens to the book or listens to the show. This art is incredible. Yeah. It's it's detailed. It's detailed and it's fluid and it's uh, it's not so detailed that it gets cluttered. It, it, it has this great balance of of detail and minimalism and all of the the shot choices are great the composition and the page layouts are are fun even on the pages where it's just a six panel square layout where uh corsair and cyclops are packing for their trip yeah, uh, yeah, yeah it was just fun well, story fun patient storytelling in there
1: that page has an amazing character like just character moments of like when hebezbaugh comes and hugs Corsair to give him like a big old cat lady kiss i love that her tail gets in cyclops's face and he's like ah like it, <laughs> yeah it's just like those quiet subtle character moments i also he's really good at drawing characters that have chemistry together which is a thing that you don't think about Because it's, you know... Yeah. You think about actors having chemistry together, you don't really think about comic book artists having to draw characters that have chemistry together. Yeah. The first time we see Corsair, when he is, like, standing there, like, sexy in his underwear...
0: Yeah, thinking to himself, I woke up in a new Bugatti!
1: (laughs) And then, like, Hebsmaw comes over and, like, just comes at him from behind and, like, hugs him, and it's like... then they kiss on the next page, and it's just... Those two moments tell you more about their relationship and the history and the comfort and compassion they have for each other than any words Greg Rucka could have come up with.
0: Yeah, and the there's another there's another place very much to me that really that really speaks to that, and that's when they blow the hole in the Badoon ship and the panel the the last bottom right panel of that spread where Corsair says, unless you want him to carve out a swimming pool, too, I'd consider an unconditional surrender. And the look that both of them have on their faces, (laughs) yeah it's so cool. It's not like, like, often you you can look at a panel and the characters look great, but it's like you could put them in any room and even by themselves, and it wouldn't seem like they were interacting with one another. But here... These are these are you know it feels like like actors or or people like in a situation together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a really um, good looking book. It's a really great first Marvel issue for him.
0: Yeah, and the, the the there's a lot of quiet moments in here and action and both are handled spectacularly well.
1: Yeah, if you um Everyone should go check out the last two issues of Nightwing over at DC, because he also did those two, and they were also fantastic. I love them. Yeah. Uh, he also draws a really good Blanche Devereaux, as I found out.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, have the, you have the most fun sketchbook of anybody, I
1: yeah. think. Uh, <laughs> listen to you. Yeah, yeah. that's right. I, I did that. <laughs> I asked people to draw things. Um yeah, so Marvel, all new Marvel now, off to a good start. It's been having a good so. start all year. The fact that we could have also talked about a number of other books that it was hard to narrow it down to three is telling. Yeah, it's
0: good. we, I mean, we had we tossed around the idea of the the new Moon Knight, which is mind blowing. Again, uh, Declan Shalvey and, and Jordy Belair are just destroying it on art. Yeah, Warren Ellis' story is is fascinating. Um, we have. Uh, with all-new Ghost Rider, yeah, uh, Felipe Smith and, and Trad Moore, which is a completely fresh take on that character.
1: And Trad Moore, similar to Russell Dodderman, just having a gangbusters Marvel debut.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, that is just, that is another, you know, we were talking about how they have all these different art styles now. Yeah. That's one that is just nothing else like that at their at their company right now,
1: and also, I mean, I Black Widow is a favorite of mine. I love oh, yeah. Black Widow is uh, great right now. Um, <clears throat> the new Captain Marvel series launched, and it is like fantastic. David Lopez was born to draw that book. He oh yeah makes it feel so Star Warsy and fun, and you can tell loves that character. And Carol Tate or uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick taking her to space i love it it's just it's great
0: it's great yeah david lopez does a lot of great work with facial expression and specifically eyes yeah i always notice there's a lot of there's a lot to be said in characters eyes in in his art to love
1: so there's a lot of really really good stuff coming out of marvel right now which makes it hard on money (laughs)
0: <laughs> but it's yeah. a good thing to have.
1: Like a lot of people compare right now to the early '90s because there is kind of a, there's a mild speculator boom, spectator yeah. boom happening right now, uh, and there's also you know a ton of variants a ton of you know, there a lot of those '90s things have come back in a in a big way, and a lot of people are terrified of it. But I think the key difference is that all these books are really good, like they're yeah. all very very different from each other it's like if you could take all the great things about the early 90s and tweak the one big problem they had which was the stories weren't good and all the art looked way too similar yeah <laughs> so that aside from just assuming these books are going to be worth money someday those spectators didn't have anything to latch on to except that eh, keep that x-force number one in a bag you're yeah. going to college yeah, off of that keep
0: it in a bag do not expose that story to anybody
1: yeah uh, whereas nowadays, I feel like people are coming in, a ton of people are coming in because of comicsology and the movies and whatnot, and, and they're actually getting stories that are good. Yeah. There's a ton of variant covers, there's a ton of, you know, double shipping, and a lot of, like, miniseries, ongoing series, wait, canceled way too soon, it's set, like, reboot, relaunch, a lot of that annoying, annoying stuff, but at the end of the day, all the stories so far are so phenomenal.
0: Yeah, it's a really great time for comics, man.
1: I did not ever think this would... I did not see this coming. I think even when we started this podcast, I think my enjoyment of the medium has increased so much more since then. Just because the quality of the books has gotten so much better.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. (laughs) The the quality of the storytelling and the art, and we've... We're experiencing, like, a new, like, sort of generational and tonal shift in how stories are told in comics, and it's always exciting to sort of uh, live through that. I mean, we've, we've lived through a couple of those shifts now, and this is one that feels, it feels really good.
1: Yeah, I imagine this is what people felt around 2001 or so when I was at my most disenfranchised, so I missed out on that last renaissance.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Because that renaissance (laughs) included
1: New X-Men, which infuriated me. (laughs) Which I might have a different opinion of now, we'll
0: see. Um, I I, I still understand that. There were still things that were frustrating about it at the time, but that was almost like they had to clear the palette in order for anything to come next, because... I mean, especially at Marvel, things were just so, so convoluted.
1: It's a good time. Hurrah! Yeah, um, yeah so this was fun. Everyone should yeah, check out absolutely. all these books. And tell us what you think about these books uh, by going to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theylovecomics.
0: Yeah, um, or you, uh, you can hit us up. If you head to mattandbetlovecomics.com, you can check out all of our social media presence on... Uh, slash who loves comics and you can hit us up on Twitter Facebook, Instagram, all that fun stuff from there
1: and uh, while you're at our website, why not click on this episode's show notes and purchase these issues through uh, the Comicsology or Amazon links um, if, you do it, if you buy anything through our Amazon links it kicks a little bit of money back to us and uh, fingers crossed at some point in the future buying things through Comixology will kick some money back to us
0: Yes, Happy Please thank you. Uh, that is something that... That's the one thing I'm hoping will come out of... The good thing that will come out of... Uh, yes, we'll, get this, some,
1: we'll get some more dough.
0: Yeah, this marriage. Is clearly very selfishly for us. I'm like, that's the one good thing I hope comes out of this. Yeah, I need that. Uh, I say that because the app does not work well on my... The new app does not work well on my iPad, and I'm really I was, frustrated about it.
1: Uh, as always, thanks to producer Ben, who I was talking to... Uh, I think last week about this whole merger and I suggested he should come on the show since he actually makes apps for a living and knows a lot more about the iTunes experience.
0: Yeah, then I'm going to make you stress test this app on my on my iPad and then <laughs> you tell me what's wrong with it.
1: Because he had a lot of actual like points that I have not seen anyone else bring up because we're all a bunch of comic book journalists first yeah. trying to figure this out. Uh, I think in order to actually understand what the real ramifications are, you have to Turn to people that, you know, know more about this wild and wacky world of the tech industry.
0: Um, oh, Brett, you should interview him and put it up as an in-your-face jab.
1: I could. But that would be giving him exposure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Unleashing oh, him on the no. masses. <laughs> we will be back next week with another all-new Matt and Brett Love Comics Now episode. Yeah. Uh,
1: a lot of big things coming up at the end of this month, so hold on to your butts.
0: Yeah, yeah, hold on to your butt. Let that cigarette dangle out of your mouth, turn around to your Apple IIe, and hold on to your butts.
1: Until then, this is Dilophosaurus. And this is Velociraptor. And we love eating human beings. <laughs>